sassy Little bit crazy, little bit classy We got dreams and we got goals We're just a couple of old sassholes Hello You know that cat? That was... That's what the cat thing. That... I'm uncomfortable, and I don't know why, because I don't know the cat thing. Yeah. We should talk to people about what is actually happening here. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to A Couple of Sassholes Podcast. I'm Brooklyn Maple. And I'm Heather Terry. And once more, this is our power hour of true crime craziness. Yeah. And all that jazz. And all that jazz. Heather's <laughs> singing. I shouldn't be. I just got back from Metallica. Yeah, for two Metallica shows for a whole weekend. Heather literally just walked in here. Um, I'm still frazzled, razzle dazzled from work. Um, it looks like it's midnight outside because of daylight savings time. Yes, and we haven't talked really in three days, yeah. four days. It's been a long time. It's been it's been some days. <laughs> it's been some days. Some things have happened. We're different people now. We are. We've grown. I'm a metalhead. No, I don't know about Hashtag that. Unfriend. I did have fun though. It was a large time. Good. Got to I'm wear glad. a lot of black. And a lot of leopard. Uh, Met a your lot of favorite people. stuff. Met a lot of people. Yeah. I would hate the latter part. I spent time with my family. Yeah. Michael Gordon. I had a great weekend good. with my fam. Got to see my parents. That's good. Always a good time. Yeah. Family can be fun when you have them at the at doses. I say that more for my parents, not necessarily Uncle Gordon. He could literally <laughs> move in with me right now and I'd be like, Uncle Gordon. Yeah. I saw um, a 1960s yearbook. Mm-hmm. I think it was the 60s. Yeah. His yearbook. And um, just so you know, everyone was better in the 60s. They all had suits. They all looked like they were attorneys already. Yeah. Their statements in the comments were like way cooler than the shit that we would say. They're just better human beings, I think. That's yeah. what I have to say. Like, take any political anything else out of it. Just the simple fact that they like did their hair better and dress better than us. Minimum. Yeah. And I like how you looked down at me when you said that. I'm kidding. I did not at all. No, I know. It was just funny because it was like, it looked like I looked down at me. I haven't even looked at your shirt. Me and Lap. You bought this for me with my birthday bucks. Oh. I was like, did I? No, it's got Murdoch on it. And don't trust yourself to know backwards Southern lawyer, quote Reba. There's some toothpaste on it. So that's delightful. I am crushing it. Yeah. I mean, Uh, you just got out on vacation. I got back. And you're here. We're looking at your hair. Home for an hour swung back in that's why I'm, i dug out a uh a story that i've been sitting on for a couple weeks because thank baby jesus i had it and it's still just shortly this is going to come out shortly after halloween ah yes mm-hmm. um i had tripped and stumbled upon like some really notorious stories that are fucking unbelievable and wild and just heavy mm-hmm. so of course i was like oh i have a heavy load emotionally to carry let's do it back to back since we're recording so much quicker than we usually are <laughs> so i'm going to be probably thoroughly depressed by wednesday at 7 30 when we're done i think yeah this story i had to research separate like a lot of times not just one and done normally i can sit down and do it yeah on a night and i could not i pulled this shit right out of my bum hole yeah. but it was how'd you keep your hands out there i can't can't i can't stop it <laughs> When you like something, you like something. Oh, there you know she what goes. I'm saying? There she goes. Um, do you want to rock, paper, scissors? Who goes first? Yeah. Let's do that's it. The, okay. Rock, paper, best scissors, out of three shoot. or best out of one? But it depends if I win the first one or not. No, let's no. do best out of one. <laughs> okay. And rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Yes. Okay. Okay, ready? Go. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. 
Yay, okay, I won. So do you want to go first? I do want to go first. Okay, I'm going to get comfy. Ow, hit the wall. Okay. Get, get all cozy. Um, I'm, I'm going to do 800 trigger warnings on every single inch of every single part about this. Okay. Um, I actually read a book that I think took a lot of pieces from this really terrifying story. I remember reading it and just thinking like, there are so many bad case scenarios when you're being kidnapped. And this is like the fucking worst case scenario, if you can imagine that. Noting that all kidnapping situations are the worst case scenarios. But anyway, I don't know if there's anything worse than this. At the end of the day, um, during the trial, the FBI literally said at the trial that it was an unparalleled situation in like FBI history. Like there's no other case that was like equal to or greater than this story. Um, And I got this from Wikipedia. All that's interesting. Oxygen did an episode it's snapped notorious the girl in a box do you remember the girl in the box i do do you do you remember it or just remember there's a girl in a box i remember bits and pieces of it because we're so we do this so much yeah (laughs) like they kind of all run together after a while so it's not like i'm gonna be like i remember they had this yeah so i just remember it's fucking awful it is awful um so let's get into it, shall Here we? Go. Shall we unpack this un this awful fucking gift? You know, I think that's what the people came here for. Yeah. Um, the good thing is that the bad people were caught and held accountable, sort of. Okay. Always good when you toss in a sorta. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about a lovely lady named Colleen Stan. The story has so much more. There's so much to the story that unfortunately I'm not gonna get into anyone's pre-life. All I can do is tell you the story get to the end of it and like kind of a little bit of the where they are now, if you will. So she was born on December 30. Uh, I have December 36th, oh. 1956 written down. I love that day. It was actually December 31st and she was a New Year's Eve baby. Oh, yeah, except I, for on those leap years. Right. That's, oh my God, that, that's annoying. Um, <laughs> from what I see, she seems to be your average gal just living her life in California. On May 19th, 1977, she's 20 years old, and she decides that she's going to hitchhike from her home in Eugene, Oregon, to a friend's home in Northern California, where she's then going to head to a birthday party. At the time, we all know this is a common event. Hitchhiking is how you get around. When I Googled it, um, it looks like it was about an eight-hour drive, so it was a pretty decent commute. So she mentions that she's an experienced hitchhiker. Obviously, as I say, she mentions it means that she survived this. She's an an experienced hitchhiker and had allowed two other rides to go past her before she decided decided to accept the ride from the hooker, the hookers or the hooker. It's technically the hookers. Times are hard. (laughs) It's it's the hooker family. Um, Oh, I was really. Yeah, okay. that's their I'm last like, did name. Did I forget that it was from a car full of hookers? Like this, <laughs> that'd be a weird way to get kidnapped. Probably every man's dream, <laughs> just get kidnapped from a car full of hookers. Oh my God. Right? Am I right? Yes, am I right? <laughs> uh, she reportedly felt confident climbing into the blue van because Hooker's wife Janice was there and their baby was in the car. So she skipped to found them. Was like, this is a family. I'm going to feel comfortable. Yeah. When they stopped at a gas station along the way, um, Colleen went to use the restroom. And she said, a voice told me to run and jump out a window and never look back. Like, she remembers feeling that way when she went to the restroom. But she calmed her fears. She's like, it's a family. Chill the fuck out. And she got back in the car. Mm -mm, Listen to your gut. Always. Listen to your gut. Always listen to your gut. Yes. 
This man was 23-year-old Cameron Hooker and his wife, 19-year-old Janice Hooker. So we have Cameron and Janice okay. and Colleen. Okay. These are the the days of our lives. These are the days of um, our lives. As it turns out, they had actually been actively looking for a, hit, a hitchhiker to kidnap. Oh, crap. Cameron was a lumber mill worker who had intense bondage fan- fantasies until they captured Colleen. His wife, Janice, had been fulfilling all of his sexual fantasies. He ends up pulling off the highway, and from that moment on, he puts a knife to her throat, oh, to Colleen's throat. Yeah. And once they're alone in an isolated area, um, she's then put into a head box. Huh? Which they said was like 20 pounds, confused on that, but it's essentially a head, a box that just confined, confined your head. It blocked out sound, light, and it prevented any fresh air. Oh, my God. Yeah. That escalated quickly. The, how, the car eventually drove to a house where she was then led downstairs into a cellar. Okay. So there's this concept of like no penetrative sex. For a portion of this. So, like, apparently um, there was an agreement that he had with his wife that would end up later changing that essentially, as long as he wasn't penetrating her, he wasn't, like, cheating on his wife. Oh, my God. Right? I will just put that over in the corner because there's going to be so many other fucking things to unpack here everything about this we're gonna hate but oh every part of it. clearly we think that's fucking stupid too yes (laughs) they tie colleen up by her hands where she is then physically attacked by cameron she's left blindfolded and suspended in the air while janice and cameron have sex underneath her (laughs) oh my god she is then tortured beaten electrocuted whipped and burned what and she is then put into a box that is essentially like the size of a coffin uh for 23 hours a day and just in the basement yes she is then given a contract and forced to sign it where she essentially just signs herself um into a life of sex slavery in january of 1978 fucking bananas already yeah but Nana's. In the view from the box, propped up against her purse under the bed. So apparently there's some kind of like way that she can view out of it. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, But there's a photo that's propped up against a purse so that she can see it. And it's a photo of Marie Elizabeth Spenheke, which I think I I, I said that wrong, so my apologies. It's actually the previous victim whose body was never found that they murdered before her. And they took a photo, so she had to look at this. The only thing she could see was this picture. Yes, of a girl that they had already killed and done all of these same things to. She further stated that Cameron had led her to believe that she was being watched by this large, powerful organization called The Family, which would painfully torture her and harm her family if she tried to escape. She mentions this in other articles, that things were obviously terrifying every day. She's like, every day I was let out of the box. I never knew what to really expect. That was terrifying. But the thing that had her in the most fear was this concept of the company. So everything held her in her place throughout all of this because she thinks that someone's going to, you know, find her family and torture and kill them. Oh, my God. She uh, subsequently became a slave, as you know, and she's referred to as Kay. She's forced to call Cameron master and she wasn't allowed to talk without permission. 
Uh, Cameron reportedly wanted Colleen to be the like female character in this 1954 French erotic novel called Story of O. And he soon started um, raping her, which first consisted of oral rape. Not going to unpack that as much. No. Just not going to un- unpack <laughs> that one. I'm going to put that. We're going to put that over there on the shelf also. Yes. This is going to be filled up. Real, the real full. Shelves going to be fully stocked like it is the night before Black Friday. Indeed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she didn't want to, uh, Cameron supposedly didn't want to have vaginal sex with Colleen because he considered that to be a breach of his agreement with his wife. Well, how moral is he? So Fucking. he decided to rape her then vaginally and anally with implements. <sighs> yes. Well, oh, good thing that he's not cheating, though, right? Good thing. Good thing. It's a good thing he's not cheating. That would be terrible. It Then the line is crossed. <laughs> then, yes. The Hooker family eventually moved to a mobile home in Red Bluff with Colleen still, and she was kept in this wooden box under the couple's waterbed. Wait. Wait, wait. This is the part that I remember. Under the bed. Yes. For 23 hours a day. Yes. They moved her like, okay. Yep. So it doesn't somehow stop Janice and Cameron from continuing to grow their family because in 1978, Janice gives birth to her second child on that water bed with Colleen in the box underneath the bed. This is making me mad. I understand. Yeah. Colleen later states that her faith in God and the belief in a chance to escape is what helped her survive. She was obviously a smart girl, and to avoid painful punishments, she tried essentially to comply with all of his commandments. With that, she was able to gain some freedoms. Eventually, she's allowed to go out for a jog, um, work in the yard, in the garden, and care for their family's children. So she's earning their trust. Yes. (sighs) So She's doing what she had to do. Right. I mean, she's like, I'll get out. I can't. And she so much. Um, she even helped him build bigger accommodations, including an underground an underground dungeon to house more slaves. What's the time the time span on this? We are currently in year one. So I mean, that's so much psychological mind fuckery. There's like she's one. She's doing what she has to do, but two, she's gonna be brainwashed by then. Malnourished and do it. They're doing all the things like so. The, people do the biggest like in that book that I had read that I hate that I don't. I didn't like fucking look it up or go back through my books and try to figure out which one it was. Mm-hmm. But she had talked about the psychological issues of being trapped with nothing to do in a box with no light, no sound, no fresh air, nothing to interest you, nothing to keep your mind from going. She would talk about how she would just try to sleep. But at some point, you just can't sleep more. You're starving. Mm -hmm. Your body is aching. Uh, Yeah. You're stuck using the restroom in the space. Yeah. Um. At this point, mentally, I have no, I can't fathom where she is. Even with an open door, neighbors, a telephone, she made no attempt to escape in the time frame that she was allowed out, right? Her fear of the company had kept her mouth shut, which is a common issue uh, for people who have been kidnapped. Obviously, they're always threatening that they're going to hurt their their families, and mm-hmm. that's why they keep staying there. Yeah. They're obviously not thinking logically, especially for her having the simple concept of light and fresh air, smell of... A smell of all those things uh, being taken away from her. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for something even fucking crazier? No. All right. She's allowed to visit her family in 1981. I oh, my God. 
She didn't reveal her situation, obviously. Her family thought she was involved in a cult because of her homemade clothes, the lack of money, and an absence of communication over the years. They didn't want to pressure because they were afraid that she would go away and never come back. It's more especially in the, in the 70s when cults were like fucking Skittles. Um, <laughs> everyone had them stocked, you know? The next day, she ends up coming back to visit her family, and this time she comes with fucking Cameron. To her, ha- to her family's house? Mm-hmm. And he just acted like he was her boyfriend. Of course he fucking did. They even have a photo of them smiling and hugging each other. No, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) According to Colleen, Cameron had officially started to fear that he was giving her too much freedom. You think? Right? Okay. You think? Which, what fucking sucks is after that whole experience, he takes her back to his mobile home where he locks her in that wooden box underneath his waterbed where she will stay for 23 hours a day for the next three years of her life. Stop it. Three years. Three full years. Oh, my God. Getting one hour out of the box a day. This is the saddest fucking shit. If she needed to use the restroom, she would, they had a bedpan in the box. And so she would position it underneath her with her feet. Ugh. The kids were told that Kay had gone home and they only let her out for that one hour when the kids were asleep. In that hour, she was allowed, she wasn't allowed to make any noise. Um, and they would basically feed her scraps of food and rape and torture her. That's so, could you imagine waiting to get out of this thing? And then all of a sudden, you know, what's waiting for you when you get out. Right. The only hour that you have is torture and rape. Yeah. She had to lie still for 23 hours at a time in the dark, and there was little air to breathe. During the summer, it would get up to over 100 degrees inside of that box. How? It wasn't until 1983 that she was reintroduced to the children and their neighbors and also allowed to get a job as a maid at a motel. At this point... Cameron wants Colleen to be his second second wife. Oh. Now he wants to incorporate her into a different way into the family. And at this point, somehow at this fucking point, Janice is like, ah. oh, now, 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 now. It's like, oh, well, she can't be the wife. So Janice confesses that starting with their very first date, she was being tortured brainwashed and ref- and only referred to as whore oh. over the years by Cameron. She further stated that she survived their relationship by engaging in denial and compartmentalization. So Travis and I were talking about this, the story in general, and we were just like, how does that happen in a relationship? Like Travis literally goes, so what is it that like one day I just turn to you and like, look, I have been fantasizing about kidnapping a girl and just like raping and torturing her. Like, what are your thoughts? Right. And then I'm like, you know what? It would it would give me pleasure to help you get that girl. But if she was being like abused and all that stuff from the get go, it's kind of like escalation. It's right. kind of like he takes one piece of candy and he's like, oh, I got away with it. And then he figures out he can take the whole fucking candy store. Right. And he's going to do it. And she wants to keep him happy because psychological. Right. Things. So but I didn't even think that Janet, when I first like pulled everything, uh-huh. I didn't even think about like 
I just assumed Janice was a fucking psycho. I mean, that was my thought because we've seen it. We've seen it with I think Elizabeth like, Smart, right? It was a couple that took her too. Yeah, the yeah. I think it was Elizabeth Smart. Y- yes, I think. I don't. I don't remember. Either. It's yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was yeah. Because Skeet Ulrich is in that movie. Yeah, of course. Anyway, <laughs> um, I just. I didn't think about Janice as much because I just kind of hated her for what she had done to Colleen. Yeah, I forgot that part. And of furthermore, this. Marie, who died before that. Yeah. So uh. anyway, um, by August of 1984, so she's been gone for like seven years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janice began struggling with herself and went to Colleen to tell her that Cameron was not part of the company. Oh, she blew the cover. She did maintain that the company did exist, but um, said that he has no ability to do anything about that. Wow. And so Colleen uh, went went to a bus station and uh, essentially just picked up one of the payphones. For anyone that doesn't know what a payphone is, <laughs> a payphone used to put quarters in it. They were located all over the streets. <laughs> and that's how you could call people. Yeah. Maroon 5 wrote a song about it. Yeah. To bring I it back. totally called my parents from payphones back in the day. Mm-hmm. So Same. she went to a payphone at a bus stop, mm-hmm. called him and was like, I'm leaving you. In which he burst into tears. And she called a bus home. I wouldn't. Tell me that's not the most motherfucking anticlimactic fucking story ever i mean yeah and the fact that she even called him like fuck you i'm gonna break up with you she felt like she had to essentially end it yeah i mean after that long seven years that's insane living in a box it's insane for seven years that is in the months that followed she didn't contact the police really right she's still scared and she called cameron regularly what now, she explains at the trial that she did this because Janice had essentially asked for her to give him time to reform. Oh. She was trying to see. And at the end of the day, Janice turns him into the police. She It's about fucking time. Yeah. Well, she turns her husband in three months later. And whenever she um, informed Lieutenant Jerry D. Brown of the Red Bluff police that he had kidnapped, tortured, and murdered Marie Elizabeth Spinacki, uh, who had disappeared in January uh, January 31st of 1976, so one year prior to, they were unable to locate the remains of her, unfortunately. Due to the lack of the physical proof, there weren't any mur- murder charges brought against him. Oh. She stated that he buried her in a shallow grave at the Lassen, Lassen, I don't know, guys, who fucking cares, Volcanic National Park. But unfortunately, her body was never found. Oh, that's sad that poor for her family. family, too. Yeah. 100%. Uh, Chris Hatcher, a forensic psychologist and criminal profile, testified for Cameron's prosecution at the start of the trial in 1985. And Janice testified against her husband in exchange for full immunity. Wait, I for, she doesn't get anything? I'm so torn on this. I was like, what are your thoughts on the fact that she doesn't get anything? Okay, I got to think about this for a second. She was an she active was, participant. She was. She was 19. She was a young victim. At the, she was she was a young victim. Yes, she was of his mind fuckery. So I mean, it's hard to even think about. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm going to sit on the fence and kick my feet on both sides. I literally wrote, 
I am so torn on whether or not she deserved to have that level of immunity. Or maybe like some way to pay it forward or at least psychological at the end of the day, or something. The only reason it all ended was because of her. That's true. She told and- um, Colleen the one thing that she needed to hear to then not come back. Yeah. And then she went to the cops. That's a valid point, too. She could have not gone to the cops once. I mean, there's so many things. And they probably would have gone to somebody else. But also, the only reason she did it was because he wanted to marry her. That's also true. I didn't, never thought about that part either. Like, was it jealousy that then broke the camel's back of torture? I don't fucking know. She let all of that happen. Yeah. I, for seven fucking years. How could you even do, like... <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I, I think she should have gotten something. I agree. Something. She, but I mean, maybe she was like, I'm not telling you shit about fuck unless you make sure I don't. But at the end and of the day, was, she even told him about Marie and he didn't even get the charges for that. Yeah. No body, no case or whatever. I guess. Back in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, so, it was 85. I don't think forensic uh, DNA had, had fully gotten to where yeah. it was. Anyway, in the end, Cameron Hooker was sentenced to consecutive prison terms totaling 104 years for sexual assault, kidnapping, and using a knife in the process. That's all. When you stop and realize sexual assault, kidnapping, and using a knife. They threw everything at him they could, though, for that. They had to. Like, I mean, to get that much time. I mean, I don't know how he didn't get attempted murder for torture. Yeah. I mean, they were probably like, well, I could really body slam this fucking case every way you wanted to. You could. I could be WWE fucking wrestler all over this motherfucker because <laughs> I fucking hate it. Yeah. Because then also more shit happened. So originally what? he was inel- ineligible for parole until 2023. OK. And his hearing date was moved up seven years to 2015 because there was the California's elderly parole por- program. And then um, on August 16th in 2015, his request for parole was denied. And he would be eligible for another hearing in 2030. However, due to fucking COVID-19, no, he almost fucking got out, kind of. They, the, they contacted Colleen and advised her that they were looking into possibly granting him parole in March of 21. Could you imagine getting that phone call? Instead of a parole hearing, they scheduled a hearing in September of 21 to decide if he should be classified as a sexually violent predator, which would give him, like, it would result in his civil commitment to a state hospital. So COVID bullshit happened, followed by just some laws had shifted and changed to om- he almost was able to but, get out and be at a at a hospital. But at the end of the day, he is currently not eligible for parole for funny enough, seven years in 2030. He, It'll be I up mean, again. All, I feel like all they would have to do is be like, listen to what he did. Yeah, I don't think he'll like he'll I, never get out. I, I don't think he'll always be behind bars to some degree. No sane person is going to sit there and hear that on a parole board and be like, you know, I think they can be he can be rehabilitated. Put him in the hospital. Right. I don't I don't feel I don't like either. there's you're not going to be a, con- a positive contributing active member of society when you put people in boxes under beds because like, you have bondage yeah, fantasies. Not yeah. And I get wanting to use some fucking hey, handcuffs. Whatever you want to do. Maybe some whips and some chains. Yeah. Or meow. <laughs> you know, get in there. Meow. Let that freak flag fly. I mean, yeah, do it. With willing participants. Yes. Yes. My God. Uh, and he yeah. had one. 
Yeah, he did have and one. How he, I wonder how long it took. Like, I don't know when they got married. So I wonder how many years it took. She had a baby. So obviously, you know, nine she months. Was ni- when they picked her up, 19, 19 and 24, three. three. Jesus. Right. And she was 20. At 19. At, I was just trying to see how I could pay for my natty light. Right. I was literally trying to see who I could make out with for a free natty light. Like, fuck, (laughs) man. After the trial, Colleen um, ended up studying for an accounting degree. And uh, she does this news article, which it sucks, but just note that in 2014, New York Daily News article, she said she tried to move on to a normal life, but misery followed her, is what they like wrote in the article. A string of failed marriages and a troubled child who was in jail. So she had a daughter, yeah. and by that time, her daughter was already in jail. I mean, going through some shit. She went through some. Hopefully, she's oh my getting God. mental well, health treatment. She joined and volunteered for Reading Women's Refuge Center, an mm-hmm. organization that helped abused women. Um, she reverted to her maiden name, which is Lashley, and she became a registered associate social worker and has worked as a mental health professional. Uh, she changed, uh, as I mentioned, uh, she had changed her, her fuck, her last name, um, and her and Janice continue to live in California, but obviously, I don't know if it's obviously, they do not communicate with I was going to ask you that. On the day, um, August 10th is the day that she had escaped, and so her and her family go to the beach to celebrate with a party every year. <sighs> she also wrote a book in 2009 about her experiences called The Simple Gifts of Life. Oh, um, shit. Have when, you read it? No. Yeah. I just, I no. I don't know if I. I could. You I would, definitely. But, yeah. Um. I mean, it's literally going to be. Hey, you know what's awesome? Fresh fucking air. Yeah. The ability to see. Mm-hmm. Feeling make, wind on your face, eating food. Yeah. It'll any of that make you uh, think about things. Yes. Um. One of her major life lessons was don't hitchhike. Yeah. And, uh, she states, "I thoroughly enjoy my freedom." Always, always, always. Life today is good. You have to learn how to live in the now and not let the past drag you back. And that is the wild, wild, sad fucking story of Colleen Stan, the girl in the box. It sounds like a really fucked up fictional book that you would tell me you read. So the book that I read, that happened to her for this. I'm pretty sure the same amount of time. She was kidnapped from a bar Mm -hmm. um, by just a man, though. He was really disgusting, like Mm -hmm. nasty. (laughs) He did the same thing, only let her out long enough uh, to rape her and throw like a cheeseburger at her. Uh, She had to stay in the box all of the other time outside of that. She eventually got out and killed her attacker. Good for her. She it was the FBI had found like found out the whole situation and they like went to attack her at the hotel or attack him at the hotel and she killed him. Like, she chose to shoot him and kill him. Then she became one of those, um, like, there's movies about it where she uh, acts drunk at a bar and kind of creates herself as a victim and then would get the guys arrested. And the cops hated it. She also ended up, like, killing a guy because he was trying to kill her. So she was basically then taking retribution. Like vigilanteism. Yes. Wow. Yeah. She got triggered and was like, fuck And that was one of the most fucked up books. It was a semi driver who got her and had her in the back of his semi and fucked me up. Mm, And then started like talking about stats of serial killers and murders being semi drivers. Fuck. 
Um, if your husband is a semi driver, just pay close attention. <laughs> See what he's doing. Check the boxes in the back. Check the, the boxes. boxes in the back, man. Check the boxes in the back. Ain't that some shit? That is. At least she's alive. Shit. Yeah. Fuck an A. High five. She lived. Came and out now of... she's helping other people. Yeah. I don't that... know what's going on with her daughter because I got to six pages and that's about the sweet spot of our fucking <laughs> podcast length. We're like ah, six six to nine pages is about. Yeah. It's about a warm biscuit out of the oven, you know. Just that <laughs> sweet little treat. A warm sweet treat. Yeah. Juice. Okay. You ready to rage? Yeah, I have washed my hands of my level of sadness, and now it's time for you to give me a new level. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of psychological, mind games, etc., here we do go. Oh, so, is this Halloween-themed? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. This this is uh, this was supposed to be for Halloween. Glad I had it in the holster. Here we do go. So, this is a story of Daniel Gonzalez, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger killer. So. I was yawning and then leaned in. For everyone who can't see what I'm doing, which is everyone, I know nothing about this. You do nothing. I don't even. I didn't even know there was a Freddy Krueger killer. I just uh, tripped and fell into it um, because I happened to find Candy DeLong. You know, we love her. And our best friend, yes, our third friend, our, th- <laughs> our third friend. Uh, season two, episode fifty-eight of her podcast, The Killer Psyche, and Wikipedia and the U.S. Sun and YouTube are my sources. Look at you, sourcing all over town. <laughs> You're just sourcing around town. Just source, that's what I do. <laughs> I was not. What did I tell Tracy the other day when I was hungover? I told our boss that I wasn't firing on all syllables and not cylinders. So that's today, because Heather and I, on Halloween, oh decided to take shots, which we were both coming in. We both knew we were coming into work at 10, yeah. and I did not eat enough. I didn't eat either. And Mm-mm. we, yeah, because I ate half your food. Um, so we <laughs> ate just a paw size amount of food. And then we were like liquor. Yes. And we were indeed sicker. I yeah. have not been that hungover. Yeah. I told Tracy I was hungover. I and I'm too. like, I've never been hungover in over a year of this job. Like literally, I can't tell you a time on a Sunday yeah. that I was this hungover. And I was trying not to vomsky. And I was like, yeah. okay. Happy hallow hangover. I was lying. dead in the water. I was in bed by like 6.02. I was asleep <laughs> at 9.20 that night. Yeah. Like I was asleep at 9.30 that night and slept 10 hours and was still ungodly hungover. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> eat before you drink. Friends. There, that is my life lesson. <laughs> eat before you drink. Yes. <laughs> All right. Whenever I say Freddy Krueger, what what do you think of? Because you like horror movies and scary movies, so what do what do you like? Tell, like if I had never seen Freddy Krueger, how would you describe it to me in ten seconds? Uh, a pedophile who was burned alive for being a pedophile by the parents, who then comes back in your dreams with fucking terrifying shiznatch, like yeah. with the with the he had the he had the things right. What? The little scissor hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I forgot about that part. Like the storyline of that part. I was just thinking about what he looked like. I couldn't oh, remember sorry. why. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Hey, a burn up I... guy with a, a pretty cute sweater. That's a cute sweater. It's a pretty cute sweater. Mm-hmm. He's the antagonist from Nightmare on Elm Street and he killed people in their sleep with his knife hand claw things. So yeah. pretty. Yeah. He had a burn up face, which is basically a terrible human. He terrorized teens. But again, he only does it in their sleep. So Candy D was like, their dreams are nightmares. And like the movie says, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. So. God, that would suck. 
right? And no so, one believes him. Ugh. I watched all of that. That and oddly enough, yeah. Um, I usually watch Halloween and all of that. Uh-huh. And this this Halloween season for me was The Nightmare on Elm Street. And so I watched a ton of his different. And he was the one that actually scared me the most. Him and him because it was just you couldn't escape him. Yeah, you're sleeping. Essentially. And then like <laughs> like Scream is a horror movie, but it's not necessarily like that one always scared me the most because it was like a real just fucked up human beings, mm-hmm. not a fucking fictional character that haunted um, you in your dreams. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So another thing about Freddy is he's powerful in that dream world. But then when he gets pulled into the real world, he loses like his swagger. So he's like vulnerable. This is one of the connections that links Freddy to the star of this show, Daniel Gonzalez. So that's what Candace DeLong said, that that's why she thinks that they're connected. Because he lost his swagger in the real no, world? No, you'll see. So I'm trying to pick up what you put down, yep. and it confused me. You're going you're gonna to trip on it now, and then later, whenever you look at your shoe, you're going to be like, oh, I remember I stepped in that. Okay. So just, yeah. Daniel Julian Gonzalez was born on June 21st, 1980, to an English mother named Leslie, I'm going to say Savage, just because it's more fun to say. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And a Spanish father, Julian, Julian Gonzalez, in the town of Woking in Surrey, which is over in England. So, okay. A little geography lesson there. His parents split up when he was six in 1986. He stayed with his mom, but he had a really good relationship with his dad. He went to a private school there and on a scholarship because his mom worked there. She was a janitor, so he got a scholarship to go to a private school. Well, and when he was 11, so they described him when he was there as, quote, a good actor, a chess champion, a good football player, but also a dark and troubled boy. Right? Oh, my God. That's literally the perfect combination to create a sociopath. Right. Hard left turn. <laughs> Sexy, sporty, uh-huh. clever, troubled. Yes. Like all the boxes checked. Every single box has he, been checked. Now, however, he struggled in academics. And he, so they sent him to the psychiatrist at the school. And he was diagnosed with dysgraphia, which apparently is a learning disability and neurological disorder that impairs someone's ability to write. He also mm. was told that he had dyspraxia, which affects motor coordination, expressing thoughts, short-term memory, and especially in children. None of that makes sense based off of everything that was just said. Yep. A lot of this, you're gonna, you'll have a lot of questions because there's a lot of conflicting diagnosis, diagnoses, diagnosis, diagnosis. No, you're right. Diagnose, diagnose, diagnose. I wouldn't even know what that was if you just said that. <laughs> like syllabi. Yeah. Is that, how do you say syllabuses? Is that it? Syllabi. See, diagnose. Oh my god, I think it's syllabi. I, I, I don't th- fucking know. I think so. We guys, I stopped caring one. about like that kind of grammar when I got out of school i haven't said that word since school so you mean we didn't walk in here with a syllabus syllabi because if i had one and you had one <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we haven't talked in four days okay <laughs> now okay at 15 he got expelled for bad behavior for different things he put like push pins and kids chairs and shit like that and what a dick I, right <laughs> And he, so I'm like, fuck you, bro. I'm so you're mad. You're going to get punched in the throat. I push, sat down on a fucking push pin. Someone's getting punched. Oh, I'm punching a throat. <laughs> Not even a face. I'm punching a fucking I, trachea. I, I won't do it. I just, <laughs> you're looking at me Everybody, like, anybody <laughs> puts a fucking push pin up in my chair, you're getting punched in the throat. Okay. Anyway. It would hurt. Right? <laughs> fuck. 
Why are we so mad about this? I'm passionate, and I don't know why. <laughs> and even though he got treated, like he got psychological treatment. In the 80s, so not, not really. Yeah, well, right. it's not the happy ending, quote unquote, when we never talk about that. But rarely, they, whenever we talk about psychological right. issues, they don't get treatment at all. So in his late teens, he started smoking weed and things like that. And in this case, not saying it's gateway drug, but like in this case, it did lead to other hard drugs like cocaine and ketamine and shit like that. So he was like, weed is fine. And then just jumped off the cliff. He was like, I love this downer that really vibes me out. Let's have some uppers. <laughs> right. So he got really strung out, and which is not good because it's a dis- disassociative drug. So he was really into this ketamine thing. So it makes you feel like disconnected from reality, apparently. And studies say it's super similar to feeling schizophrenic. I was like, I don't know enough about ketamine. I didn't either. But apparently it makes you feel like you're schizophrenic. That doesn't sound good. No. That actually, like, to me, the most terrifying uh, mental illness is schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Truly, it's schizophrenia. So it's like, oh, you can take this really hardcore drug that's going to ravage your body health-wise. And it only makes you feel like the worst that's dumb. And his brain's still developing, and it's already wired a little bit differently anyway. We know that. So, mm, not... This sounds like storm. the perfect story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was kicked out of so many schools, and he just ended up saying, fuck it, and he dropped out. His first run-in with the law was around this time also. He punched a bus driver and huh. bit his ear like Mike huh. Tyson, arguing over how much it cost him to ride the bus. He was 16, and so he didn't get arrested. They were like, don't do that again. Right, right. Because everybody bites bus drivers. For the cost of, like, the bus driver was like, this is my bus, this is the dollar amount. And he's like, no, it's not. (laughs) I'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, his mom was like, all right, bless his mom's heart. She's trying. She put him in a drug program, but they never gave him a psych evaluation in that. In 1997, his mom was like, all right, I'm going to get you this job at the bank because you're out of school. Few days later, he got arrested for shoplifting, lifting, and finally his mom was like, "I, I can't." Like she put him in foster care. She said, "I can't do it anymore." She was, wow. So like right before he turned eighteen, it's just like, dude, I'm not even fucking with you anymore. Someone else can yeah. take you. Damn, he must have been to Zam. Yeah, I can like, only imagine. Out on drugs, didn't care what anybody said. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that was the right or wrong decision. It's her choice. It's her journey. But like, she had that had to have been like her last straw like she's trying to put herself out there for him got him into school got him a job yeah i couldn't even i so i couldn't imagine like obviously she was truly truly someone else try end of her rope yeah Yeah. and it didn't go well in his foster family's house he spent all his time why not (laughs) he was so great (laughs) he spent all his time watching horror movies and playing video games and he was strung out on the drugs and causing a ruckus he dropped acid over 200 times he did coke uh, ketamine and all that stuff and, you know, I don't go here typically, but I don't, obviously, I'm not saying those things make you bad people. Like, the horror movies and playing video games, it's not going to make you go on a killing spree. Right. So. But. Shouldn't I watch mean, that stuff while tripping acid, though. It's right. I will it's, say I like to know a decent amount about, like, the, um, the, like, I don't know fucking magazine level of drugs you know like what's hollywood drugs i know hollywood drugs because i fucking lived in miami and you got to know what drugs you're taking i'm kidding (laughs) i wasn't taking all those anyway but i'm just like acid is like like that would be a trippy like that'd be a terrible trip i don't feel like i would want to watch it's a hallucinogen who you have to put yourself in really good environments it's the same as shrooms you're not gonna fucking do these things 
and then watch horror movies. Horror. Horror movies. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. That literally would be a nightmare. Yeah. That would be a fucking nightmare. Well, Daniel started thinking that everyone was speaking to him. Uh, they use the example oh where it's like if someone, like if he was watching an infomercial and it said, this is for you, go buy this now. He thinks he has to because it's like a command. Of course. Like yeah, I can see that. This is 17. <laughs> He's, keep in mind, he's 17. So you're, already, you're still a dumbass. Yeah. He got put on probation that required drug counseling, and he then they were like, they put him on antipsychotic medication, and the doctor was like, look, I know you do drugs. You can't do drugs when you're getting these shots, and you can fall back into a drug-induced psychosis. And apparently this drug has his medication. I forgot to write it down which one it was, but it has terrible side effects and takes about a week to get going so most of them take it one day and they're like this is this is terrible i feel yeah, sick course, and yeah. it's not working so he took it though he got to go back to school and then in 1998 he punched a window and they put him in a psych unit for the first time and he was there for three weeks so he was on in the right direction for a minute they noted in his file that he had a drug-induced prolonged psychosis already and he'd done so many drugs that he was clinically psychotic at 17. so Okay, I just want to make sure I'm walking down the right street uh -huh, uh -huh. because I've seen this. Okay. Like, so he took so many drugs that it literally broke him, right? Pretty like, much. At this point, even if he had the best case scenario, best combination of drugs and treatment, like the drugs slash treatment being the same fucking thing, but mm -hmm. he would have still not been able to get back to the nor like the an, an average human's frame of mind. They thought that they were going to get him in the right direction and take the steps to help him do that. But they said he was clinically psychotic, though, like that he basically broke his brain. Like okay. you said, yeah. the doctor didn't even want to let him out at the end of the three weeks. And they did anyway. She was pissed. <laughs> she was like, I don't agree with this decision at all. He went back to his foster family and then fell right back into his little drug and bad behavior routine. Apparently, he wasn't taking his meds or they needed to up the dosage. But either way, they could hear him just sitting in his room talking all night to the voices that he heard. In 1998, oh, Daniel refused psychiatric care because he wanted to continue using drugs and alcohol. So he was like, no, I'm good. I don't want that medicine. Isn't that so crazy? Yeah. It's like people who won't go to the homeless shelter because they won't quit smoking cigarettes right. because it's a non-cigarette smoking shelter. Mm -hmm. Five days later, he was taken to a secured psychiatric facility by police because he flipped out, tried to assault his caregivers, and then hit himself in the face with a metal pan. Okay. He was described as a wild animal in a cage, and they diagnosed him as a schizophrenic with a paranoid subtype. So that means at least he had at least two of the five main symptoms. He was delusional. He had hallucinations, disorganized, incoherent speaking, disorganized and unusual movements, negative symptoms. So like lack of emotion, facial expressions, hand gestures, and that sort of thing. I had to Google. I had to look him up. Yeah. He's, he's like kind of really good looking. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Why does it suck? That's horrible. Okay. I'm a horrible human for being like, it sucks because he was good looking. Well, because he's not a good I guess yeah, it's, it's just like you, you, you had a, you had things going for you. It just kind of yeah. He He told people the TV was talking to him, and he had names for his voices. So Katrina, Misha, Melinda, and Jenny Bean. That one kind of got me. I'm sorry, I had to laugh at Jenny Bean. I Jenny Bean. want to laugh at all of it. Like if I was but. drunk, then that would be really hard for me to say in my drunken redneck slang. Jenny Bean. 
That's, that should be your new name whenever we're out of bars. Out of bars. Because we're out of bars. All just the time. changing our we names. We just talked about taking Halloween shots. And <laughs> At, in my kitchen. <laughs> just, Ooh, don't, don't throw our rock star podcast dude, lifestyle. My kitchen space. is a fucking rock star place. <laughs> That's something you say in your 30s. My kitchen is a rock star place. <laughs> Valid, valid. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, Now, it's extremely rare for schizophrenic patients to name their voices in their head, and it's even more rare, which I didn't know this, that they commit a violent crime. Like, 98% of them don't. Like, if they're schizophrenic, they're just schizophrenic. So, yeah. In March of 1999, Daniel was allowed to move to an unsecured mental health facility, and a month later, he was outpatient because this new doctor said he didn't think he was really schizophrenic. Why? So many different opinions over the years. It's wild to think that, I mean, he was on strong-ass antipsychotic injections, so of course he was acting more in control, and the doctor was like, oh, you're fine. Well, you're on medicine. Like, of course you're fucking fine right now. Right. Yeah. The summer of 99, he went to stay with his dad in Spain and then came back to live with his biological mother in the fall. In December, his doctor was like, look, you can't do drugs while you're on this medication and so he decided to switch to the lower dose and do pills instead and started self-medicating because the medicine wasn't obviously working because he lowered his dose yeah and so he started getting street drugs too on top of everything else insert eye roll yeah his his mom kicked him out shortly after and he became homeless and for the next few years he lived on the streets obviously his mental health was declining over this time and he was only 20 and he got arrested for robbery and went to prison for a year. Okay, here comes the murder part. Like, I could talk forever about how he fell through so many cracks. It's literally unreal. Like, I don't know, since his brain was broken, like, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if they could have fixed anything, but they could have at least treated him and he could have had a It sounds like path. they essentially tried to in multiple situations. Yeah. It's just one doctor felt differently. Mm-hmm. So really, I don't feel like he fell through any cracks. Everyone's like, you have issues. Let's address your issues. And he's like, I don't want to address my issues. Here's here's the thing. I, I hear you and I agree with that. But he saw 58 different doctors several times over those years. And none of them would agree on, on his diagnosis. They were all over the board. Every one of them said something different. Almost all of them. And only one of them was like, he probably shouldn't get out. Wow. The rest of them were like, mm. You know, so it, it's no, kind of right. it's kind of weird. Like I thought the same thing until I was like fifty eight doctors in like eight That's years. That's too many. Like every place he went. I don't know. You know what we say that Munchausen by proxy. Mm-hmm. The Munch. The Munch. Like yeah. that is one where doctors all the time like they 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 believe the pain. Yeah, yeah. They this never is, believe. I don't know. We, I don't we've know seen them where it's like they go through seven or eight within a short period of time, and it's yeah. so obvious. This I feel like depending on. The stage of his medication, what he says, what violent thing he did, what his if his mom's in his life, if she isn't, if it's a fucking tired doctor and it's state appointed and they're just stuck and they have some crazy guy off the street, like yeah, fuck. I don't know. I, it's it's hard to nail down. I'm on the fence on this part too. Yeah. So, okay, like I mentioned, he lived in a delusional dream world like state, and it was fed by the Freddy Krueger series because he began to obsess over this, oh, and God. that's why the press gave him this name. All right, here we go. September 15th, 2004, 9 a.m., Daniel, he's 24. He's only 24 years old now at this time. He left the house with a kitchen knife, a bag of clothes, and an agenda in a nearby town. Not a syllabus. (laughs) Not a syllabi. Just a syllabus. He had one. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) 
Just making sure. <laughs> oh, that one's funny. That's called a callback. Good for you. Good comedic timing. Oh, thanks. <laughs> now I'm going to talk about bad shit. So, okay, back to, back to zero. In the nearby town of Portsmouth, 61-year-old Peter King was taking a stroll in the park with his wife and his dog. Like, how cute. Daniel jumped out of the path and, with a steak knife and started stabbing Peter. Peter fought what? back like a badass, and they fell back into some bushes, and he was actually able to knock the knife out of Daniel's hand. Daniel oh immediately God. stopped, stood up, and literally said, I should say literally more, he said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm schizophrenic, and I can't help it, and he ran away, and Peter survived. So then I, I'm going to put that on a, on a shelf. That's we'll put that with your shit, my shit, your shit all on the shelf. Cause I agree. Then in West Sussex, 73 year old Marie Harding was walking home and ran into Daniel wearing a white hockey mask and a huge ass knife that he had stolen. And he thought his first steak knife was too small. And he thought that's why Peter survived. Daniel's other favorite movie was Friday the 13th. So that's the hockey mask. Jason. Mm-hmm. Poor Marie, he slashed her throat open and then stabbed her in the back. He stole the cash out of her purse and left her. After that, he went home and wrote in his journal and talked about it saying, quote, it was a proper bloodbath and that it, quote, felt really, really good. It was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I will be a serial killer. The next so day. So she did die? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the throat cutting and the stabbing in yeah. the back, but. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen movies where people survived. Yeah, she did. The next day, Daniel left the house again and went to London and got, like, shit-faced drunk and took drugs. He stole two huge knives from a store there and kept partying. And he was just roaming the streets in that daze. And he crossed paths with uh, 46-year-old Kevin Malloy around 530 in the morning. Kevin was walking home from a pub, just minding his At own... At 530 in the morning? Mm-hmm. Okay. Party hard over there. I just want to say... Just walking home from the pub at 5.30 in the morning, just yeah. minding my own business. I'm yeah. Like, bro, you... I want to know what pub was open. Yeah. But they, okay. <laughs> they, uh, Kevin was walking home, like I said, and he was brutally stabbed in his stomach, chest, face, and he died from those wounds. Aww. And he apparently said, what are you doing to me? And he said, I'm killing you. Like, that's what Daniel said to him while he was doing that. Daniel just left him there and kept walking. In the streets of North London. At 7 a.m., he broke into a house through a window, and there's a couple sleeping upstairs, and they woke up. Kumis Constantino went downstairs and found Daniel just standing in his kitchen holding a knife. He started stabbing him and biting him, and the guy was like, no, fuck you, and started fighting back. Then his wife comes downstairs and starts hitting Daniel with her slipper. She gets freaked out because, obviously, the slipper's not going to help. She runs out of the house screaming, and Daniel it snapped him out of it, and he got scared, so he ran outside, too. Uh, then Daniel went and found another house. Okay, pause. I would get a divorce after that. What? If, I swear to God, if I am being stabbed and attacked and I am fist fighting a motherfucker up in my kitchen and Travis comes downstairs with fucking his bunny house slipper and (laughs) motherfucker, I'm getting divorced. I kept that in there. It is over. A fucking house slipper. Yeah. And yeah. he's getting stabbed. And then stabbed runs and out bit. of the house. Yeah. Stabbed and bitten. Yeah. There's a divorce. There's a divorce pending in two weeks. <laughs> for sure. You're in a fucking kitchen. Grab anything. Anything else. Anything. Anything else. And he survived, so we can laugh at the, how dumb that is. So. Yes. Yes. Because. She's like, oh, let me grab a tea towel. 
Yeah. Let me just. When she just starts throwing cotton balls at him. Oh my god! Stop I, it! Stop it! Here, I'm so freaked out. I'm so scared. God. Here's a box of pillows. Pillow fight. A pillow would knock him off guard more than a fucking house slipper. Unless she's wearing steel-toed house slippers. Oh my god. I. Yeah. Okay, so he freaked out, runs out, and then the, Dan, house, the house slipper got him. The house slipper, yeah. And then, God. <laughs> then he went and found another house, and the elderly couple named Derek and Jean Robinson lived, and they were having breakfast. That's so cute. He rang the doorbell, and when they opened the door, he stabbed Derek right in the face, <gasps> neck, and chest. And then Jean ran over to help, and he got her to immediately, and they passed away there from their injuries. Not Just so, answering the door in the morning, having breakfast. And somebody I would never on their think door. anything of it. I would he never. literally didn't even say anything. He just opened the, front opened door. the door like, can I help you? And that yeah. happened. Shortly after this, a decorator stopped by their the Robinson house because he had already had an appointment with them and he found them dead in their hallway. Like he opened the door and was like, hello, because well, he was supposed to be there. He said Daniel was standing by the body. He looked like he had just taken a shower and he was half naked. So Daniel looked at him, got freaked out and pushed him out of the way and ran out of the house. That, he looked like he had just taken a shower. Uh-huh. Half naked. They don't know. It, like, they never said if he did or not, but he was just standing there in the hallway over two dead bodies. The poor decorator's just coming over to be like, hey, let me, I picked out your sconces or whatever the fuck. Oh, Heather's throwing sconce out there. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. All right. <laughs> Maybe one of my syllables is still firing. My God. <laughs> sconces. Yeah. And so... Whenever Daniel pushed him out of the way and ran out of the house, he went to a hospital nearby and gave him a fake name because he had multiple cuts and like had to get stitches and stuff from the attack. And but he told him it was from broken glass. When he left, he went to get he left the hospital and went to get on the tube station or what well, they said tube station, subway, whatever. Yep. Yeah. And paid with a bloody twenty pound note. And the person was like, Oh and looked at him and looked down at the bloody money and I was smart and called the cops because it's not every day you get a bloody $20 bill and the so for three days he hurt two people and he killed four my gosh and that's and why, really the whole the real murder part of it happened within like a day mm-hmm. like quick golly yeah and he told the cops when they brought him in that he wanted to become Freddy Krueger he said I had no idea who they were I just wanted to kill someone yeah. Apparently, the day before he went on a spree in England, he had gone to a rave and took crystal meth, too. Oh, always. So he went always to a rave. Always a solid idea. If meth is on the table, take it. Right. Said no one fucking ever. I know. And it put him in this dreamlike state that he got snapped into. Because Meth is always the fucking drug, man. Right. Meth always does that shit. Uh, yeah. Golly. And, that and, and bath salts, man. Those two. Right. Fuck. He had even written a letter to his family doctor, he being Daniel, begging for help and asking them to admit him to the hospital. But they didn't do it. Like, two days mm. before his killing spree, he had ran down the street... In the main street in Surrey, screaming and was naked. Like, just, he's going off the rails. His mom's partner. Is that what going off the rails is? I mean, yes. A murder spree, naked, running but through But I the mean, it was before the murder, so like, it's kind of like, hey, red flags. Like, a little bit. It wasn't a fucking football game, and it was trying to be like, I'm streaking. Right. So it wasn't hall pass <laughs> or old school. Old school. My golly. 
His, now, his mom's partner had went to the cops and was like, hey, something's not right here, and he needs help, and they didn't do a wellness check, take him seriously. He's like, so many things have been happening around their house, and he, they were, like, asking the police to do something. His mom had written a letter to social <clears throat> services and said, and this is all before the murders, it said, quote, does my son have to commit a murder to get help? So even his own mother is like, mm. can you fucking do something? So basically everybody, including Daniel, were like, something bad is going to happen, and... No one did anything at all. Couldn't he have just checked himself into a place? I don't know how all that works. You can. Especially if he's he like... Can. You can literally go into places. I don't know what the... Pl- rehab facilities. Yeah. Um, you can go into hospitals. But if you and say, you can say, yeah. I'm going to hurt myself or others, and they have to watch you. They have to. Well, Same thing yeah. on a suicide attempt. Yeah. I think it, he just got snapped into that dream I hear State, you, but like, I'm just like... No, I get it, because I never thought about it like that. Like he, But also, if you think the TV's talking to you, then... Or that you need know. to be Freddy Krueger. Uh, maybe Kruger. it's the time. Maybe it's because you're talking about the 80s, right? This was in the 80s. This was 2004. Even, oh, 2004. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess in my mind, I'm just like... I feel pretty confident you could call the police right now and say that you think I'm going to kill myself or or kill someone and mm-hmm. they have to go to your house and do a wellness check. Maybe it hasn't always been like that. Or maybe it's I mean, obviously it hasn't. Too. Obviously it hasn't. It's a different country. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about people who were giving, like that guy who murdered um, the his ex-girlfriend in the gym in broad daylight yeah. and all the steps that like... They might be a little more lackadaisical with it. I don't know. Who they don't know? have guns or using knives. I don't fucking know. I really don't know. I don't know either. Did you guys know that I don't know? I don't. Yeah. You don't I, know. I just want you to know I, I don't know. And I say literally. We're going to have a drinking game. Every time I say literally on this episode, you can literally take a shot. Because... Uh, and I'll literally be like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> literally, I don't know. Okay. Now... Daniel went to a weight trial, and it was so bad the prison staff had to escort him everywhere because he always talked about killing himself and other people. He just talked about it all the time. Then he bit himself so hard in the arm that he required a blood transfusion. Yeah. Fuck. Bit himself. Motherfucker is the walking by the dead. Way, right? They put him in a mental health facility. A blood transfusion. The mount. Man, he got that meat. Yeah. That forearm meat. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Forearm. a forearm. I know, but I just thought of my friend. <laughs> one of my friends had saw somebody with the eyebrow ring, and they had multiple eyebrow yeah, rings. You've told me this oddly and I, enough. And uh, she said, "Look, she's like, she has a lot of jewelry in her forehead, mate." And I think about it all the time. <laughs> God, there's not even if forehead doesn't even have that much meat. I know that's why it's it's funny. so weird. Okay, back to the transfusion and. He, while he was there, he his mom and his grandma came to visit, and he attacked them, and he would just be sitting beside people and just hit them. Now, somehow, again, he ended up biting himself so hard that he severed an artery, and he almost bled out, mm. but they got to him in time. At trial, he pled guilty to manslaughter because of all his mental health issues. The prosecutor said he was just on drugs and lied about everything to avoid the consequences. So basically, they they were positioning it like he manipulated everyone. And insert eye roll. The jury decided they were right. The prosecution was right. And in 50 minutes, they found him guilty on March 17, 2006, and he was sentenced to six life sentences, four for four for the murders and two for the attempted murders. 
Now, I'm sad for the victims, of course, because uh, that's fucking terrible. And I just feel like he should have been separated from society and not in prison. I feel like they could have put him away. He'd already, because in my opinion, he'd been failed quite a few times. Doesn't justify what he did, but I feel like... I don't think the whole point of him being in prison is the fact that it's a lot less likely for him to be able to murder again if he's in a hospital facility. That's true. I don't, he could kill nurses. He could kill, it would be the the level of um, like preventative murder maintenance, if you will, isn't the same in a hospital. Yeah. So, but I mean, it would yeah. be, I don't know. On the flip I, side, they're more trained and he could get more meds and things like that. I mean, like an that, insane so. asylum. I don't know. You still yeah. get meds in prison though. Yeah. Like that's what our, our government money is paying for is yeah. making sure that people are still getting their required medication. I don't know. At the end of the day. Yes, he was failed, but he did it to himself. He did. He had a a little bit of youthful, like at the end of the day, what they were saying, they don't even fucking really know if that was okay. He was just kind of troubled. There's a ton of fucking trouble. I was a troubled kid where everyone's fucking troubled. Yeah. And then he was like, I'm going to do extreme hardcore drugs and then be offered help and then choose not to take the help and do drugs instead. Uh It's his fault. He should be in prison if he isn't fucking electrocuted. Right. Well, on August 9th, 2007, Daniel slashed his wrist in his prison cell with a broken CD case and he passed away. Okay, well, now I feel like a dick. I mean, I really don't. No, I mean, people died. He murdered people. Yeah. So one more time, because I know I talked a lot about Daniel, I want to mention the victims' names again. So Marie Harding, Kevin Malloy, Derek Robinson, and his wife, Jean Robinson. And that is the sad story of the Freddy Krueger killer. I can't believe there was a CD case. That he was just like, I'm going to use that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know I don't either. know what to say, man. At the end of the day, yes, there were things that he, that he, was he um, failed? Yes and no. Yes and no. I agree he with was, that. He was taken to doctors. I mean, people. 58 of them. Have, I know, <laughs> but even, you can go to 58 doctors and they not know that you have Lyme disease. That's true. You, they don't know that you have erectile dysfunction i don't know (laughs) well one of them would be like he's schizophrenic and then one of them would say no he's just bucking the system but most of the time they would say that whenever he was on medication and when he'd go in there obviously he couldn't do drugs while he was in the different facilities or they'd be like he'd stay here a few days or here or whatever so you're saying that like so then at the end of the day it's once more someone who's fine when they're on the medication but won't take the medication because they want to do drugs at Mm -hmm. the end of the day it's still his fucking fault yeah he just succumbed to his, it's more fun to be on drugs. And he literally took drugs that they said you cannot take. Like, he mm-hmm. failed himself. Yeah. Over and over and over again. He had a mom that kept trying. I he feel went so on, bad for There's his so mom. many things. She even said he's going to kill someone because he's fucking crazy and choosing to do extreme drugs. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're talking about a drug, a- drug addict, not yeah. someone with psychological issues. He exacerbated the issues. Yeah. And then played with it. You're, you, yes. See, I just needed to talk this out with you. I'm just, I mean, I'm no, still I, mad. I at agree him. with you. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And, and it's so random, too. Just at random, the people that he killed. Just very, I wanted to kill somebody. So yeah. he just wrote journals. And he wrote about, about how he was in, he was so coherent that he was able to then write, le, like, write his feelings and express them mm-hmm. coherently. In a journal. Yeah. And then know that his first knife wasn't big enough and to go yeah, get a new, so, a bigger no. one. 
Okay, you killed yourself. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for his parents. But, yeah, I'm always going to feel bad. Pain. At the end of the day, yeah. I'm going to feel bad for everybody. Every, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of feel bad in there, but <sighs> I don't think anyone really gets to be like, fuck you, because right. fuck him. Right, that's agreed. Retweet. Yeah. Retweet. Well, is it re-X now? Because it's I'm not Twitter. I'm so angry, but I just like, I couldn't imagine just having a nice little breakfast. Yeah. Fucking open up my front door because somebody rang on it. Fuck you. Man, I'm mad. <laughs> Coming at me I'm in just my kitchen. Walking a couple blocks home from the bar. You're just trying to have a good time. Walk, walking around. Or fucking. walking your dog. Or, <sighs> or just walking. Just being alive. Just being alive outside. And he's like, I'm going to take your life away. Yeah. And the and press then, started calling him that like right after. So like right after he got arrested, they started calling him Freddy Krueger. And why did they? I still don't care they, they called him. He, he was obsessive oh, about okay. the series and they figured that out. And then It's they, like the Dexter killer and all yeah, that Yeah. And then they just kind of, and then they found out that he was on all those drugs. So they linked the two. Yeah, but Freddie wasn't on drugs. No, but he put, it put him in a dreamlike state. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Cause you're right. He's I did felt step he was in that kind earlier. Of, and now you're smelling the shit you stepped oh, in earlier, right? Man. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I don't like him. I don't either. I, I like his mom. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the people who tried to uh, prevent it. Yeah, that one doctor, she was real mad. She was urging. The first one that was like, he, after three weeks... I don't want to let him out. And they were like, well, you have to. So, I mean, what happened with fucking our little Japanese fucking sushi eater? Oh, God. The end of the day with him. Uh, he got out. Yeah. Fucker. He's a fucker, too. There's so many fuckers out there. So many fuckers. Well, you guys, sorry we talked to you about all those fuckers today. Yeah. Go, like, pet a puppy or... I'm going to go home and literally play with my dogs. Me too. I'm going to go to bed. Maybe cry a little bit. I'm going to go to bed. And do it. Weep. Weep a bit. Weep. Um, Yeah. Like, listen, rate, subscribe, all those things. Yeah. We're going to be ratching right back around in 48 hours and doing another episode. So we're pretty excited. You guys won't know it because you don't give a fuck about when things are released or when they're recorded. As long as they show up at 7 a.m. on your Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) At 7 a.m. every Thursday. Every Thursday. Always. <laughs> um, well, we love you guys. We thanks love for you. Be- thanks for being here. Okay, bye. bye. I love you. Bye. Theodore, can I put that down?